So hello everyone. It is Thursday the 4th of November in the afternoon. Uh, I'm actually just back from Glasgow where I was yesterday in connection with COP26. Uh, and I'm here now this afternoon uh, going to have a conversation with David Rodin. And David is the founder and until recently the CEO of Principia Advisory, which is a firm that uh, many in our firm will have heard of, uh, with whom we worked together in late 2018 to do a survey into our culture. Um, and a lot came out of that that we may talk about in this conversation. But interestingly enough, uh, after we finished that work, we stayed very much in touch with David and his team, and at some point worked together for quite a while in the past year, and that continues, uh, in connection with a specific report that Principia Advisory uh, has created around business ethics. So David and I have, over the past year during the pandemic, interviewed over 50 business leaders, and I think David with some others has done several more, uh, to ask them about their business ethics and about how they view, for example, purpose. We also often got to talk about ESG. Um, and Clifford Charles has recently launched its Responsible Business Report, and the discussions David and I had with business leaders was very much about what it means to be a responsible business. So um, I thought it would be interesting for those in the firm and maybe those outside of Clifford Chance uh, to hear about some of the findings of this report. What does it mean to be a responsible business? What does ethics mean in an organization, organizational and business context? So with that introduction, let me now turn to David and say, welcome, David. Very nice to see you again. Maybe you want to add a few words to my introduction and then we can get into a bit of a discussion. Yeah, absolutely. Um, a real pleasure to be in conversation with you again, Yvonne. Um, so uh, yeah, just by way of introduction, uh, as Yvonne has said, um, the founder of Principia, we're a, a specialist advisory group that really works on the intersection between organizational ethics and, uh, and organizational culture. So my own background is I was an academic for 20 years at the University of Oxford. Um, my special field was uh, moral philosophy, and actually within that I uh, did a lot of work in military ethics and the ethics of war. So I worked with um, armed forces and military leaders uh, all over the world. And uh, Principia really came out of that work as an attempt to um, try and bring some of the insights and uh, and research and, and knowledge out of academia and to make it um, useful and applicable to uh, to businesses and to business leaders. And uh, the partnership that we've had with Yvonne and with Clifford Chance has been a, um, a really wonderful and uh, an enduring one uh, that we've very, very much uh, valued and, and appreciated, first of all, to, to work with you and to have you as a, as a client and to be a part of your own journey towards responsible business and with the production of the code and, and, and to really be part of, uh, of, of your journey towards building uh, you know, a, a kind of truly ethical legal business. Uh, but then also the work that we did on the, uh, on the ethics report as well, which was, um, which was just you know, a, a lot of fun and, and, and deeply uh, rewarding and insightful to speak to business leaders across, I think it was 56 different, uh, different business leaders from different organizations that we spoke to in the end. Uh, and to really take the temperature of what, you know, what, how leaders are thinking about the ethics journey, um, the challenges, uh, what they're investing in, uh, what they feel is really succeeding, and, and, uh, and some of the, the kind of pain points that they're struggling with as well. Well, thank you, David. And, and um, we'll talk a bit later about our own journey and our own code of conduct, which we've created on the back of the work we did with you. So um, let's chat about that in, in a bit later. But now first, you know, Working together with you, you know, I'm a lawyer, you're a moral philosopher. That was, uh, for me, an interesting combination. I learned a lot from our discussions. 
but I'd be quite interested to hear a bit from you why Principia created this report and, and then maybe you want to talk about some of the you know, key findings that, that you've taken away from all those discussions we've had with business leaders and the others that you've had as well. Yeah, so the motivation for the report was really, you know, having worked with uh, leading organizations across a, a range of different sectors, uh, including, of course, you know, law, professional services, uh, banking, finance, uh, technology, um, government and, uh, and, 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 and not for profit, and, and really seeing the ways that um, that uh, the, the, the different organizations, different leaders were engaging uh, with the domain of ethics, responsible business, integrity, you know, there are a range of different words that get used, but but really that same kind of core idea, you know, how do you run uh, a, a, kind of, a kind of truly responsible ethical organization? We thought that the time was right to really um, draw together some of those strands into one place uh, and to uh, to really provide a resource for the community uh, that could be used to uh, as really as a kind of a starting point for thinking about some of these these issues, uh, a way to get a little bit of data on what people were were looking at and doing, uh, and to share some of those stories as well. So that was that was really the, um, the really the motivation, and uh, you know I think for me. Um, some of the key things that came out of that work and out of the finding is, is first of all, almost universally, uh, leaders are describing to us an environment in which ethics and the ethical domain is becoming increasingly important, uh, both internally in terms of the structure of their own organization and interactions uh, within the organization, and then obviously externally as well, um, not only with, uh, with clients and with customers, but with a much broader set of, of stakeholders. So you know, what we saw in the report very clearly is that, uh, is that ethics responsible uh, business is extraordinarily high on the agenda of CEOs, of boards, of, of, of C-suite uh, executives. And um, that's also being driven by an increasing appreciation of the complexity of the environment that we're, that we're um, operating in now. So, you know, whereas five years ago, you know, 10 years ago, um, it was sufficient to, you know, essentially operate in a kind of quite narrowly confined commercial basis within, within the restrictions of the law, that is no longer considered to be sufficient really by you know anywhere there is increasingly um a sense of a of a strong set of expectations that businesses will be responsive to a much much broader set of ethical issues whether that be around uh, around climate uh, around tax fairness, around uh, treatment of of, of, um, of, of labour, uh, environment, uh, racial equity, whatever they may be, but there is a there is a just a real expectation for uh, for organisations to be engaged across a range of those uh, of those issues, and then secondly, a realisation that 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 creates and requires a different set of capabilities right through the organization. And I think what's very, very um, key to the way that we think about ethics is that it really should be thought of as, as a set of capacities, uh, right? Um, uh, both, both individually um, for, for, for leaders, for managers, for employees, but also a set of organizational capacities. And when we think about it, we, we, we think about them in terms of kind of three major areas, uh, which we call um, responsibility, capability, and, and motivation. And what we did within the report was to dig into a lot of the 
different ways that leaders and organizations are working to develop capacities within those three different areas. So to give a couple of examples, so within responsibility, um, you know, what we see businesses really working on is, is setting a, a, a clear set of expectations uh, for their people and for themselves in terms of, uh, you know, what, what their objectives are for ethical, responsible business. And then looking at ways to hold people accountable within that. So the work, for example, that you've been leading on the code of conduct, so it's very clearly within that space in terms of defining in a very clear way what expectations are for your people. Uh, capability then has to do with the, the ability of, um, of managers, of leaders, of, of, of employees to actually really navigate some of these quite difficult, complicated uh, decisions in an appropriate way, in a responsible way. So what we're seeing firms increasingly uh, spending time on investing in is, for example, um, decision frameworks uh, that, that really help guide professionals and leaders to, to make better decisions, particularly where there are very, very complex uh, questions of trade-offs uh, or you know, different interests of different stakeholder groups that are, that are in tension with each other, and you need to get to the best ethical decision that you, that you can within that. Uh, and then finally, kind of issues around motivation, uh, where you know the the, the idea there is that um, the uh, the motives and the incentives that 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 people are uh, exposed to have to be properly and appropriately aligned to the ethical expectations that you have of them. So it's, it's no good telling people you know that you expect you expect them to make um, you know good decisions uh, around um, around climate or around fair treatment of, uh, of minorities, but it turns out that your bonuses uh, or, your, or your promotion depends upon you maximizing revenues at all costs, irrespective of your impact on those, on those other uh, issues. So looking at the way that, that those incentives align with, um, hopefully align with, um, or perhaps uh, you know, pull against those expectations becomes, becomes really critical. And then also within that, and, and a theme that I know that you've been very, very committed to and interested in, uh, in your work, which is the, the, the issue of purpose. Uh, and, and what's been very interesting and what we saw in the interviews and what we saw also in the survey for the report is that, you know, that the, 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 the definition of a really authentic purpose uh, for the organization that people can really feel that the organization is committed to creating a positive impact uh, outside of their purely commercial revenue profit generating uh, activities is just incredibly important uh, across a whole set of levels for people to really feel and believe that the organization is, uh, is, is an ethical one, is a responsible one, and then to create the motivation for them at a personal level uh, to actually uh, be, behave in a, with, with integrity and, and, and in a responsible way. So I, I think it was, you know, it was really fascinating just to see through the interviews and the surveys how different organizations were adapting different strategies across these three key different areas. David, did you, did you see businesses, you know, with the increased focus on being an ethical and responsible business, call it purpose-driven business as well, really that having an impact on their strategy, on choices they were making in their business lines, in their business model, uh, a strategy is not just about what you do, but also what you don't do. Did you see real examples of that? Or did you, having gone through all those interviews, uh, and and I'll ask this a little bit as on purpose as a cynical question. Um, you know, did you feel it was more talk than walk, so to speak? Yeah, yeah. So I think what's interesting is that we are clearly seeing an evolution of maturity towards that. 
uh, and different different businesses and different sectors are at are at different I would say different levels along that journey. So you know, for example, uh, almost every major corporation, you know, certainly the large ones, even the FTSE 500, the global organizations have done something around purpose. They will have a purpose statement. Uh, they will have some activities around that. They will, you know, their CEO will be speaking about it at Davos and, and other and other venues. Uh, so, you know, at that level and, you know, and, and there have been some, you know, very high profile, you know, the, the US Business Roundtable has, you know, made their, um, their, their, uh, their statement around that, uh, you know, many investors have, have also spoken very, very significantly around that. So there's that kind of baseline level of, you know, yes, we've thought about purpose, we've articulated, we have it. But it's that next level, exactly as you say, of connecting the purpose in a meaningful way to the decisions that the organization is taking at a strategic level, at an operational level, and then also, you know, driving that down that it really feels real and authentic to uh, employees within the organization that they, you know, they not only believe that, that it is more than hot air, but they also are able to connect their own role and their own activities to it. And I would say that, that actually very, very few organizations uh, have really done that in a, in a, in a, in a, in a, in a truly effective way. But I, but I think what, you know, what, what I think we're now in that kind of second phase where organizations are starting to really work and to devote resource to, to doing, to doing exactly that. So to taking, you know, a purpose statement and making it actually into uh, a decision framework a set of metrics. So, so the focus on measuring outcomes was a very, very significant and important theme that came out of the both the survey and the uh, and the and the conversations. Um, so, I think you know, I, I think we are seeing a journey, but I think that is that is clearly the the kind of the the, the second phase of of where this work is going to be going. Yeah, and I recognise that, David. I mean, in one sense, you know, the famous sentence, you, you you get what you measure, so, so to speak. So having your incentives and your KPIs aligned to that, you know, responsible business setting, ethical business purpose is important. Otherwise, it, it remains sort of, or it becomes, I should say, uh, maybe purpose washing. And and were there examples, and, and I don't know, you may want to name names, you don't have to, but you've seen examples in, in the process of that report of businesses who've done this very, very well, where you feel it's really been embedded right through the organization and is driving actually the business and the business models and the performance throughout all levels of the organization. Did you see examples of that? Yeah, so I mean, you know, the conversation that we had with Alan Jupe at, uh, at Unilever is, I think, a, is, I think a, a great example of that. Um, you know, there are there are many others. I mean, the climate commitment you mentioned, COP twenty six at the at the outset. Uh, you know, many many very significant organisations have made commitments now around uh, around net zero for for twenty fifty. Again, I think we're we're seeing a range of um, maturity in terms of the um, you know the, the hardness of those commitments, the capacity to measure those, uh, the capacity to deliver those. You know, first of all, in terms of internal um, uh, emissions, but but then secondly, also thinking about you know the secondary emissions that come from the clients that you work with, and so you know I think we 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 are we are seeing again variable maturity on that, but 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 I think a lot of real movement and real commitment around that. I mean, you know, to give another example of a company that we know very well, you know, Accenture, I think, has been doing some really terrific work uh, around this. 
um, you know, I think, you know, in terms of your, you know, the, the responsible business report that, that I know that you're launching now, I think is, is also those kinds of ways of communicating, uh, uh, you know, openly with your, with your, with your stakeholder groups, uh, just a very, very important way of making sure that you can be held accountable to the, the commitments that you're making amongst your stakeholders. Well, thank you, and and no, that that interview with Alan Duke was was fantastic. And as I said, I've I've just come back from COP, um, where which is ongoing. This is the fourth day of it. It's going on for, until the twelfth of November. I think one of the differences between the Paris Agreement or the COP, which led to the Paris Agreement, and this one, I am told because I wasn't there at the time, so I'm not pretending to be, but I was told that now the involvement of business is so much greater, and this is really a change that can be driven by business. But it needs governments with regulations to set the proper guide guide wheels, have standardised metrics, and and um, really you know create a level playing field and a fair playing field and be the referee. But then the businesses are ready to go because they don't just see this as the right thing to do. They see it's good for their business models or can be good as well. So we had some very interesting discussions over a dinner last night actually. But you know moving away from 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 COP, just going to the work we did together. I mean, you you came and worked with us back in 2018. I remember you telling me that um, you, what you liked in a way was that very often clients you work with came to you or come to you when they had a crisis, when something happened. And we didn't, in touch wood. We came to you because we just wanted to do a deep dive into our culture. Um, and, and, and so that was slightly different. I'm glad we did that. And we'll talk about what came out of it in a minute, but I'd be quite interested to hear what your finding was, what you remember. I know it's two years back, but coming into our organization, what your what your and and please be completely open and honest. I mean, it doesn't have to be a, a nice and friendly answer. I mean, what did you see? Yeah, so it, it was it was really um, it was really interesting and, and really refreshing for us because, uh, you know, the early years of our business, almost everybody who came to us had come to us because they had some kind of very significant ethics conduct related crisis. And these were often, you know, thinking about some of the work that we did in the banking sector with, you know, some of the big global banks, these have become almost existential for these companies, right? They've been almost gone out of business. Some of them have been operating for a hundred years or more. And so there was a kind of laser-like focus because of this intense pressure from regulators, from the board, it was very clear to everyone that something was broken and needed to be fixed and transformed in a very, a very, very structural way. And so, you know, the question, you know, what, what we do in, in cases like that is, is we help boards and, and managements to, to diagnose and understand where the problems are and then really, you know, create a consensus around that and then create a strategic plan to, you know, to regenerate and, and transform. And what was wonderful about working with you is that you came to us having not had, you know, a, a, you know, a, a crisis or, or a set of issues like that, but with, you know, with a very, you know, kind of honest view saying, look, tell us what you see, uh, tell us what we're good at, but, but, you know, more importantly, maybe tell us, you know, tell us the issues and the problems that you see, because we really want to get better. We, we, we view this first of all, as a, as a, um, as a competitive uh, positioning, again, you know, within within the market, but also, you know, because we 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 want to be uh, a responsible ethical firm, and we want to we want to develop the ability to do that better. And, and I think what was great about that as well is that I think you had clearly understood that in order to take the kinds of steps that have led you now, you know, to the code of conduct and the other activities that you are undertaking, 
that it's really important to understand the steady, the, you know, the steady state. And I think that was very much in your thinking of, of partnering with us and, and working with us. So if you'll remember, you know, we spent um, we spent about four and a half months, five months, I think, uh, doing doing a, um, a, a, a rolling out a survey across the global firm, uh, across everybody within the organisation, um, uh, and then doing a series of, of interviews and, and focus groups across across key uh, global. Uh, offices uh, for you. And what that enabled us to do was, I think, you know, to read back to you, uh, you know, where across those set of capabilities that we were talking about before, uh, Clifford Chance was already, you know, really doing very well and where there were potential weaknesses. And I think, you know, what was what was really, really apparent was that, you know, first of all, you had an incredibly smart, engaged and dedicated group of professionals worldwide who really believed in the firm, really had a great deal of affection towards the firm and who kind of believed in the in the profession of, of law. Uh, and that was just really apparent, you know, as soon as we came into the organization. But, you know, what we also saw were some of the strains and stresses and vulnerabilities. Um, yeah, and also you know, having worked in the professional services sector as well, many of these were 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 were, um, were elements that we had seen in other professional sector um, uh, firms as well. So one of them that came out very very clearly was this issue around speak up and, and readiness to speak up. And I know that that's become one of the kind of one of the five key elements within the code of conduct. And you know what's interesting is that when you look within organisations, you know, as I said, this is not something that's unique to Clifford Chance. You find it you know across many many organisations, but I think particularly within partnerships within professional services firms, where you know relationships are so important, and you know relationships to your partner and the way that you progress within a firm. That can create all kinds of impediments to, you know, to, to speaking up honestly or to, you know, to talking about something when, when you see a problem, because you're just tied so closely, you know, to to those relationships. So that was one thing that I think we saw, you know, very very clearly. We also we also noticed, um, you know, a set of issues that were just around the incredibly competitive. Uh, labor market that you're in, you know, that you you are in a very very high stress high tempo operating environment, you ask a lot of your people, your clients ask a lot of you, that creates, you know, a, a kind of constant pressure to, you know, to ask people to do more. Um, and environments where, uh, you know, where, where people are really um, very, very stretched, that can obviously create vulnerabilities uh, because it can be hard for people to put their hands up and say, you know, actually, I'm drowning a bit here, I need a little bit more time. Or in really bad cases, not, you know, not to say that we saw evidence of this within Clever Chance, but, but it creates pressure or, or, or risk that sometimes people may cut corners, you know, just because it's, it's, it's easier to do that. So those were, those were two things that I think, you know, came out of the, out of the conversations and, and out of the, um, uh, and out of the survey that, you know, that we were able to really read back to you. And I remember those you know, readbacks with, with Matthew uh, and with, um, with other members of the executive team and of the board that I think, you know, uh, we, we, we enabled you to, to really look at those, identify them. And I know you spent a lot of time, uh, you know, really, um, you know, acclimatizing the organization to those results and talking about them really, really openly and honestly and using those to kind of get um, uh, alignment around the, the steps that you were going to be taking taking forward, which which I think was just you know just 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 a terrific way to do it because 
believe me, having worked with a number of executive teams managing the aftermath of a climate of a crisis, that is that's absolutely not where you want to be. Well, uh, thanks for that, David. And working with you on those interview series, you know, your your primary goal was to get input for the report you were writing, uh, which we were sort of supporting you on. But at the same time, we were very open in all the interviews that the reason I was on, apart from that, was to listen to business leaders, how they were doing it. How were they implementing their thoughts around being an ethical business? How were they making sure that was embedded in the business and to take ideas from that? And I was always quite open. And I remember Alan Jupe saying, I love supporting it in the context of a report, but I'm really very interested also in, in your journey at Clifford Chances. Yeah. Another reason for me to be talking to you and I remember one interview, for example, with Wiebe uh, Dreyer, who is the CEO of Rabobank in the Netherlands, how uh, he had taken ideas, I think, from his times at McKinsey, how they had around their ethics and their values. They had every year a week in which they sort of almost um, re-pledged re and realigned themselves to that. It's one of the thoughts we have in the firm as well. So I was taking ideas uh, from mm. these interviews at the same time. And, and Speak Up was a very big one. And, and in the workshops we run around our code of conduct, actually, the topic of speak up is probably the one that creates the most debate and dialogue about how do you actually do that effectively? Because it's very difficult for the reasons yes. you mentioned, the strong relations, but just generally also in your private life, if you see things which you want to say something, it's not always easy. So we talk about that very openly. Now, I know I shared the code of conduct with you, just to be clear for anyone watching this, now, we took the, the work we did with you, uh, uh, David, but then took it away and, and, and worked on it ourselves further. So the code of conduct was created by ourselves, having listened to the outcome of the work you did, but was not something that uh, you you wrote with us or provided input on. Uh, I did share it with you, and the five principles of the code are uh, act with integrity, because we thought, you know, if you don't act with integrity as an individual and as an organization, and certainly as a law firm, you know, the rest is actually pretty meaningless. And the second one was to be inclusive. And the third one, and this goes to the speak up culture a bit and, 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 and the entrepreneurial spirit of our firm as well, is to embrace challenge and to speak up. There's a number three and four. And then number five is act responsibly, which is about, first of all, and all these five principles, so act with integrity, be inclusive, embrace challenge, speak up and act responsibly. They, they apply to us as individuals in the firm, but at the same time, they also apply to the firm as an institution as a whole. So the firm has to act with integrity. The firm has to be inclusive, obviously made up to people within it. And the firm has to act responsibly. So not just me as an individual or anyone in the firm as an individual. Now, what does it mean to act responsibly as a firm? For us, that means to be committed to supporting a just, fair, sustainable and prosperous society and to um, consider the impacts of our work, not just directly on our clients, but on their wider stakeholders and the wider communities they operate in and to help them with that. Uh, and finally, to you know, respect uh, human rights and actually do no harm. And those are not just empty words. So we've got all sorts of policies now underlying that and have a lot of dialogue around that. And it's interesting because lawyers are a different breed to some other uh, professional service firms, consultants or um, uh, other businesses. I mean, we are lawyers. We are there also for access to justice, rule of law. And that brings with itself some dynamics. And I'm a litigator. I've been trained. Anyone is entitled to a good defense and, and you want to help people in that sense. So we've got very interesting dialogues around that in the firm. And, um, but it is driving increasingly strategy, what we do and can't do. And as we say, we don't have to be agnostic um, in, in the world and things we're seeing today, whether it's around climate, whether it's around social inequality, uh, uh, and, and how do you organize the governance around that as a business? So, um, 
wondering where there is a question in that. I'm sort of re replaying in my own head what we've yeah. done, taking away the results of what we work with you. But I, you know, interesting question whether you, with these five principles, do you feel like we've never talked about this before for you? This is not a prepared sort of question and answer. I'm just wondering, do you feel that those five principles sort of resonate with what you saw and the work we've done together? I would hope you say yes to that. Yeah. Just a... Yeah. No, exactly. And um, so, so I, I, I really like um, a lot of what you've done with, with this process, kind of going from our report and using this code of conduct as a way to engage in these conversations and kind of frame these debates within, within the, uh, the organization. I, I think you've done a terrific job. And I think, you know, the five principles themselves, you know, there's nothing particularly earth shattering about them. You know, you would find many of those in, in, the, uh, in the codes of, of, uh, of, of, of many other organizations. But you know what I like about the approach that you've you've taken is first of all you did start from a from a basis of um, of, of of kind of, of of data and understanding coming out of a report. Secondly, you 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 really took the time to engage the organization. You know, from saying okay, we've we've had this outside and read from Principia. You know, we, we've got an understanding of our strengths, but also the things that we need to work on. What are the what are the kind of commitments that we want to hold ourselves to? So you had that kind of inclusive uh, process le leading into it. Um, and then, you know, I, I think, you know, just in terms of the way that you frame the document, you kind of have the general principles, but then you have examples of behaviors that fit within that. So, you know, again, you know, this, you know, that's we, when we work with, with organizations in this, we, we always advise to have that kind of framing to say, you know, what we want you to internalize is not a set of, you know, 15 million rules, but a basic kind of set of orientations or expectations and some examples that help you go on from there. So I think there's there's a lot to 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 like about the way that you've you've um you you've you've approached it. But you know, at the end of the day, what makes something like this work and and live, and you you only use that that, that term a, a living document, is the way that you that your people use it and engage with it. And and one one observation I would make is um when you look at the values that organizations proclaim. Um, what you often find is that there's a mixture between what I call descriptive values and aspirational values. So, so descriptive values are the ones that your people will look around and they will say, you know, yes, I recognize that Clifford Chance is an organization that acts with integrity. That's the organization that I see around me. And, um, and there are, but there are other values which are perhaps only partially being lived in the organization at the moment. And it can still be really important to have those as values that are you kind of, you know, you talk about, but, but they have a very different role to play, right? They're, they're the things that perhaps we're not all the way there yet. And I, what I always tell clients is it's incredibly important to be clear about when you talk about a value for the firm, which of those is a descriptive value and which of those is an aspirational value. Because if you if you tell people that these are the values that the firm has and they look around, and they say, well, you know, actually, you know, we say that we're an open communicating firm, but I look at the people around me and clearly we're not doing that. Then that starts to corrode the belief in the, you know, in, 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 in what the firm is telling you and, and, and this idea of values. And we do this actually within Principia. So every uh, every six months, you know, we we talk about our values. We say, what are the values that you really see, you know, 
being lived within the organization and what are the values that we need to pay attention to because maybe we're we're not doing them as quite as well as we did or maybe that you know we need to get to a, to a better stage so if you know i think about your values i think you know i think integrity you know probably absolutely is descriptive speak up probably has a dimension of being aspirational and a dimension of being descriptive i think it's really important just to be open about that to say look you know, it's incredibly important for us to get, you know, to a really, really open speak up culture. We're probably not all of the way there yet, but how do we get to, how do we get to really being where we want to be? But just being very explicit about, you know, the, the, the different ways and the different roles that values can, can play. Well, thanks, David. I mean, again, for the audience, that's not something we've been discussing before, but actually I think, and I'd like to think that is the way when we run the workshops, we talk about it. So, you know, the first pillar I talk about is I think, and I do think, and I've been with the firm for 30 years, we've got a great culture, but I recognize, you know, my lived experience, first of all, may be different from that of other people in the firm. Secondly, having a great culture doesn't mean we can be complacent. There's always areas in which we can improve and which are more aspirational. So that partly goes to your point. And then indeed, you know, being inclusive. I think we're working hard at being inclusive on a day-to-day -day basis. We've got, apart from the sort of um, diversity, equity, and inclusion program, but just on a day-to-day -day basis, are we inclusive? But again, clearly areas we can sometimes improve on, and certainly is picking up one. And I use examples about, and I said earlier, how difficult it can be. And, you know, I'm from the Netherlands, from Amsterdam, and I always say people are quite direct in Amsterdam, so I always thought we had a reasonably good speak-up culture. And I've actually been corrected, you know, after the workshop, sometimes people called me and said, Jerome, you know, you've been in that office for a long time. You've been partnering the office for a long time. You've managed the office. My lived experience in the office in Amsterdam is actually different. And I don't think we always have a healthy speak-up culture. We can get better. Um, so, you know, your lived experience may be more positive than mine. I still think we've got a, a pretty good culture there, but, you know, it is in part aspirational. And I yeah. think actually the, 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 the profession of law for the reasons you mentioned very much relationship building business and relation building business i think suffers across the board from sometimes lacking that open culture i think we're not doing badly at all but it's very clear we can do better i i would 100 agree with that and you know the, these issues can sometimes they can hide in in funny places and you can be you you can be doing great on one dimension of, of the value but 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 if it have issues that are kind of uh, not so easy to appreciate. So, you know, I, I think, you know, around around speak up, certainly people can be very comfortable speaking up about one kind of issue, but then just find others very difficult for some, you know, in, in, in some ways. I think another example is around inclusion. So, you know, one of the ways where inclusion challenges you know, and you might maybe people might not think about this in these in these um, ways. And uh, um, when you when you kind of use that word inclusion, but I remember one of the things that came out in the survey and the uh, and the conversations was just the the kind of the tension or the differential between lawyers and the firm and support staff, and the sense you know amongst some of those who were incredibly high performing professionals in their own right, but always but the sense that it was kind of it was always first and foremost about about the lawyers. And that is an inclusion issue at the end of the day, right? Although it, it might not be one that you kind of immediately jump to think about. Yes, and the same with, you know, that's one of them generationally, you know, all these sorts of things, you know, do you create an environment where, you know, the youngest in the room feels free to to challenge? And, and that's why we'll talk about embrace challenge to get diversity of thought in the room. Anyway, David, I think we should probably come to an end because we could talk about this for another two hours, I know. Um, and um, uh, so it was a very informal conversation. Um, this was done um, in the context of us uh, launching our um, 
responsible business report for our financial year 21, so the one which went from April 20 to um, April, uh, 1st of May 21. Um, which we have just launched, um, and I would encourage anyone watching this to have a look on our website at the Responsible Business Report. Um, I think there's a lot of, uh, um, I would say, great stuff in there. Um, I think uh, uh, acting responsibly, um, going back to the beginning and to the reasons for your report, David, is increasingly um, uh, uh, important. And I think as a law firm, we can be leading in that area, which is part of the journey uh, we are on. And I think it's increasingly driving strategy as well. So I want to thank you for the work we did and uh, working together and looking forward to doing more interviews together of, of other people. Absolutely. Absolute pleasure. Thank you, Ren. Thank you.